Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing or donating at anchor.fm slash allingospel or visit the allingospel.com website. All right, well, we're in Genesis 5 tonight because we cranked through both 3 and 4 last week. Um, so making grounds and moving forward. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 5, you'll be turning past Genesis 1, which was order out of chaos, Genesis 2, which was Sabbath and humans getting created, Genesis 3, which was humans choose their own flesh over the spirit, and we have the curse in the fall. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, the hope is that that seed of woman that might redeem humanity could have been Cain or Abel, but it's not. And they are two going to die, and they are sinners. I want to go back to chapter 4 just a little bit as we go into 5, because when we did chapter 4, we really focused on the Lord's grace towards even Cain, like just trying to work with Cain even after he'd murdered somebody, which was kind of this really graceful thing. But we also see that at the end of chapter 4, um, there's a line there that says, Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And it's another first. And in Genesis, we're seeing all these firsts. And really, we kind of just skimmed over it, frankly, because I was in a rush to try to finish, and I apologize for that. But I think it's kind of cool that that's the beginning of prayer, this calling on the name of the Lord. Um, it's also where God isn't really directly talking to Cain and his family anymore. So they have to pray. And prayer is actually part of the fall because if God's walking and talking with us, we don't necessarily need to pray to God. We just talk to God. Um, so when they start calling on the name of the Lord, there's that. Um, and there's one more point in Genesis 4 before we keep going on. Um, Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent. And I thought it was kind of interesting as I got into 5 and I started looking at what's going on with the, the lineage that we're going to cover tonight. But there's two major different kinds of sin going on in Genesis 4. In the fall, Eve and Adam were both deceived and were punished for it. But the very next piece, when they tell the story of Cain and Abel, we notice that Cain was never deceived. He didn't. He kind of got himself upset, and it was this different kind of sin, um, which is the sin from within. So there's the attack from without which happens all the time but then you get Cain where Abel and him give both give the sacrifice Cain gets upset because God blesses Abel and likes and appreciates the sacrifice he's not happy with Cain's sacrifice so something's going on with Cain and he gets really envious of Abel and he starts to his countenance falls and God starts to come after him I'll go back to chapter 4 and just read from verse 6 so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And there's this nature with Cain where he's so filled with envy over Abel that God's kind of trying to come to him and say, like, why are you so angry? What are you upset about? Why, what's it to us if God loves this person's offering and not our offering? What difference does it make to you if somebody does better at something than you do? And you look around the world and you look at people and how jealousy and envy just eat away at us. 
And not only is it a different kind of sin, it's the only sin that doesn't have some sort of pleasure attached to it. Most sins, there's something kind of nice about it. I'm sure when Eve bit the apple, there was this moment of, I have bitten the apple. And you get to do that thing you wanted to do, which is the sin. You know it's disobedience, you still do it, it leads to bad things. But there's a moment of pleasure that comes with a lot of sins, but not with envy. The very first reaction Cain has is he gets angry. He's like mad. And that kind of sin, that kind of selfishness just eats at people. Um, but then note verse 7, and that's the thing I kind of wanted to highlight before we go on to 5 tonight. If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule, rule over it. That desire that's in that verse 7 is the same one where Eve has desire over Adam, which is this idea of ruling over or conquering over people. And in this case, it's this idea that sin lies at the door. And for me, I guess that's what's stuck in my head all week from last thing. And I said, well, I don't know if we've really highlighted that idea, but sin, according to the Bible, is actually waiting at our door too. And it sits right at the door for us. And it waits for us. And it wants to rule over us. It looks for that opening where it can start to rule over our life um, and bring shame and bring stress and worry and anxiety into our life. But God's direction to Cain before he murders his brother is says, but you should rule over it. You should, you should be the boss of this situation, Cain. Don't let sin eat away at your heart. And the only thing Cain had to do is just say, I'm okay if my brother is more loved by God than me. And, but, and it's one of those things where I'm sure as God loved both of them just differently or however parents say that to their children. But in Cain's head, Abel was the favored one and that was a problem for Cain. And he, you know, I, I think at some level that just ate away at him. There's an article in Psychology Today about envy. Uh, and again, it's a secular, secular journal, but they talk about envy as one of the most destructive physical emotions you can have. It actually causes um, horrible digestion it causes loss of sleep. Um, it ages you quicker than other things do. And when people just get into that mode where they envy people and they hate people, it actually destroys or eats away from you at the inside out. Um, and I just, I like when you see that comparison to those kinds of thing, things and what's there. Um, in the New Testament, they talk about these things. How do we react to envy? And this is the part we didn't get to. What are the things we tell ourselves when we're around people that we admiration is the holy side of it, but envy is the evil side of it. When you have people in your life that are just good at things or better at things, or schoolwork is easier for them than for you, it's super easy to just be envious and not like those people. Grant, you're grinning. First <laughs> John 4 says, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. There is this idea that we can beat this. We can use the Holy Spirit or have God in us to beat these things. First um, John 2, 16, for everything that, in, that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of one's possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And in Romans 8, 35 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
what if Cain would have just accepted those truths? That there's nothing that would take him away from God's love. And when God isn't pleased with the sacrifice, Cain's response should have been, God, I repent. What do I need to do to get back on good terms? Because I came to you with a sacrifice without the right heart. I want to come to you with the right heart. How do I do that? And it's been amazing as an old man how many people I've seen in the workplace where envy and jealousy just take over and lead to some of the most horrible behaviors and those things where you're just like, I just can't, why does this person act this way? And it's usually in some way, shape, or form to elevate themselves or to take someone around them down a few notches. Sarcasm, cruelty, playing where you're having cliques and groups where you're trying to exclude and include people. And it all kind of comes down to these kinds of things where people just act like Cain. It's not that they're deceived, it's that they themselves want to be elevated more than other people. The world can't beat us. We have power over all these things in the world, but we can beat us too. And we can generate sin from in our own hearts, and I think a lot of us do. So the solution, God gives it to Cain. He says, why are you angry? Why is your countenance following? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do the right thing and you're doing good things, God loves you. There's nothing you can do to separate yourself from that God. And God gives Cain the answer. He gives him the solution, but Cain still goes his own route. So Cain then is not the one that will beat the serpent. Um, And then we see seven generations of Cain's line at the end of chapter four. I'll get to the seven generations later, but I just wanted to point that out. And then at the end of it, God's not really talking to the people from Cain's family anymore. They have to call on him. So in chapter five, we see another genealogy and it's not in contrast and it's not uh, different from it, but we see the genealogy of Seth, which is another one of Adam and Eve's kids. So, uh, and, and as we go through it, I want you to notice how many of them die because the curse is humans are going to die. And so with the genealogy of Seth, we see that everyone is born, they make a kid, and then they die. And there's this rhythmic pattern to it that that goes that way. So verse 1 in chapter 5. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. Um, Notice that this says this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. That's only one other place in the Bible, and I'll get to that in a sec. But this is... um, the third told off in Genesis. So of the books that Moses gathered together, or at the time they would have been scrolls, uh, this is the genealogy of Adam, or we're starting a new scroll with chapter five. Um, Almost like Moses was trying to build a Bible and taking all the scrolls from all these families and gathering them together. Uh, The first one was the, chapter one was the first told off, which Adam would have written. Chapters two through four would have been the second told off. Again, Adam would have written that. And five through nine, we see Adam's family records, but most biblical scholars feel that Noah would have written this scroll. scroll. So this would have been Noah's scroll that he put together, his family tree, so to speak. This is the book of the genealogy is the same language used by Matthew, and I thought that was cool. Remember when we started in verse one, in chapter one, and it had in the beginning, blah, 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 and then we looked at the book of John, and John starts the book of John the exact same way. In other words, John's trying to say this is, you know, another chapter in this story. Matthew does the exact same thing, but he actually starts with chapter five, where it says, this is the book of the genealogy. Matthew starts off his book saying, this is the book of the, ge- or this is the, book of the genealogy of Jesus. 
Um, and I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know if there's anything to it, but there you go. So um, if this is the third scroll, then when we get to later when there's the flood, which we're coming to next week, uh, there would have only needed to be three scrolls that made it to the ark, which would have been chapter one, chapter two through four in this next set. Um, and uh, Moses then later would add some other things. He would compile them and he would uh, gather things together. They would have been smaller scrolls, but by the time Moses was doing this compilation, he would have been using Egyptian style scrolls, which were on papyrus, which would have been a lot larger and a lot able to take a lot more text. So Moses really combining them into one scroll would have made it easier for him to transport. And then of course, Moses keeps writing and he adds Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, and then suddenly he's up to five scrolls again. So his um, the libraries tend to get bigger. Verse two, he created the male and female and he blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. Uh, this is God's intention. Uh, note that we only follow one of the sons and daughters of Adam here. Genealogies are often incomplete in the Bible and throughout all of Jewish tradition. The intent of a genealogy is not like our family trees where we try to get everybody in Hebrew traditions, you just do a straight line through the family tree. There's no intention to get everybody included, which is why you can't do exact dating with a Jewish genealogy. It's because that's not what they were trying to do when they did it. Verse three, Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image named and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. I like the, and he died. I don't know why, but it's like, and he died. It's the point is, and he was not the one that was going to restore creation. Um, Adam's son is created in his own image and likeness. Uh, unlike uh, Adam, uh, we too, or everyone that's Adam's son is created with both physical and spiritually to be like God. Remember we talked about image and likeness before. Seth is born then into the sinful spiritual nature of Adam, and so are we. There's only one exception to that is someone who doesn't have a father that is of that is of the human race. So Jesus would be an exception that he was not born in the likeness of Adam. Uh, Adam calls uh, Seth's name is Seth means compensation or appointed. So there's a belief by Adam and Eve when they name their son appointed that he could be the one, he could be the savior. He could be the one that comes. And I don't know why I think that's so cool, but I think it's interesting that even back then they were looking for the Messiah, the person to set things right um, and, and bring humans back to the garden. Uh, there's a lot of interesting theories on the long lives. One of them is prior to rain happening, there was much more moisture in the atmosphere that would have created a barrier for the sun and the sun actually ages us. I thought that was cute. There's another one around electromagnet. I don't mean to be snarky about these. I'm sure one of them's probably right, but it's conjecture and the Bible doesn't tell us why people live so long. So I generally don't get into it too much, but I like these cute theories. Here's another one. There's an electromagnetic field around the planet Earth that actually you're not, and you've heard this one, that has a decay rate. Um, the problem with that for a lot of people is that decay rate, if you go back even 20,000 years, uh, humans would be living extremely long or they'd be dead or they'd explode from magnet, magnetic propulsion. 
So the theorists believe that that electromagnetic field actually magically resets itself on the planet Earth every five to seven years so that we kind of live the same amount of time. Another theory is solar radiation, and that kind of goes with the water in the sky thing, but the sun has not given off the same amount of radiation as other times. You can see where these get weird, right? Another one is climate change. In the garden, the climate was perfect for humanity, but now there's nowhere that's perfect for humanity other than maybe Italy or <laughs> Southern California. And when you look at these like little old ladies that live to 120, they're often from Italy, you know, the nuns up in the hills and things like that. There are some areas of the world that are nicer. And we do know that people live longer and shorter lives based on how they live their lives and what they do. That said, after the flood, we see people's lifespans get a lot shorter very quickly. Um, so it'll be one of my questions for heaven is how did that work? Uh, Given these rates, and if we just take the Bible at its word that people did live that long, it's interesting that Noah's dad, Noah's father, would have been alive at the same time as Adam. And so we're going to see seven generations, but they don't necessarily go away or die like we assume people do today. Um, so they're not that far away. The other kind of thing you'll notice if you kind of look at the math on these, Methuselah seems to die the year of the flood. And we'll get to his name and why that makes some sense. But the timeline roughly is somewhere between four to 5,000 years BC. If you go with these timelines, and that's how old the earth would be according to the Bible. If that's the case and people don't die. So Steph and I have two kids and a half. <laughs> but if Steph and I didn't die, because we started having kids in our 20s, but if we didn't die, or if we kept making kids like God commanded them to multiply, we could at our age right now probably have 11 to 12 kids, right? But if we lived to 900, we could keep making babies forever or until Steph says, I'm done, right? So even if you only had half of the kids survive, or even if half of the kids stopped, decided they didn't want to have babies, um, in this span of time between Adam and Noah, there could have easily, and I didn't do the math myself, this was something I just saw, there could have easily been around 7 billion people on the earth by the time Noah and the flood happened. It's just an issue of people don't stop making babies when they're 40. They're having babies for hundreds of years, and the moms and dads don't die when they're grandparents. They just keep making more babies. Um, so the growth rate is exponentially larger than it would have been, according to this. Two other notes before we get into these exciting genealogies. <laughs> I think genealogies are okay. I mean, I don't mind just cranking through them. And one thought about it is that God really cares about details. And at the end of the days, God says there's going to be a list. In fact, he keeps a list of everything we do in our lives. And when we confess our sins to Jesus Christ, he takes that list of sins that's recorded and he throws them as far as the east is for the west. But the good things we've done in our life, he doesn't throw those away. Those are part of what are accounted to people. And it says that you'll get crowns for these things you endure in the name of Jesus Christ, which means God's keeping track of it all. And when you look in his word, we see a lot of genealogies as we go through his word. And I think it's kind of cool that, there, that God is more detail-oriented than I am. There's also the historical point about genealogies. Even the people we know nothing about in these genealogies, 
God actually cares enough about those lives because God sees it in a lot larger picture than we do. Like I'm very much not important. I might just be a name in God's book, but it's my seventh generation descendant that's going to matter. And the way that I'm honored in the history of times could be my great, great, great grandchild came through my line. And that's what we're seeing here. We don't see all the humans that are on the earth. We see Seth's kids. And we don't know a lot about Seth, but we know that God cared about him. God kept account of him and God blessed him through his line. And we'll see a bunch of that. All right. So I want a reference for your good deeds being recorded would be 1 Corinthians 3. So verse 6, we'll get to this. When we do the names, Seth is the first word. Seth is already, um, the meaning of the word Seth is appointed or substituted. And I'm going to give you the Hebrew meaning of each of those words because they don't translate it. They just leave it as a name. And we'll come back to those meanings in a bit. Adam, of course, means humans or humanity. Seth means appointed. Lived 150 years and begot Enosh. And after he begot Enosh, or it could be Enos, Seth lived 807 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enos means mortal man, lived 90 years, and he begot Canaan. And after he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 115 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. So he was not the guy. Canaan, which means occupy or to settle into like a nest. So to live in. Lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. And after he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. In other words, he's having kids through all that time. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Mahalalel is a compound word uh, meaning praised of God or to praise God. Lived 65 years and he begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Jared, his name means a descent or to descent. How'd you like to walk around and every time your mom and dad call you and say, hey, descent, come over here. Um, so these names get kind of wonky sometimes. Lived 162 years and then he begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived, eight, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch, his name means set aside or consecrated, lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Um, by the way, the Jewish people say it's Methuselah, but I grew up saying Methuselah. So I'm just going to keep saying it that way. And Minnesotans, we can do that. <laughs> After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. Notice the difference in the pattern. We've seen a lot of, there's almost a line by line similarity in these, but something's different with Enoch. He walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. See the interruption of the pattern there? We don't say, and he died. So we have something different. In chapter four, remember I said there were seven generations from Adam to um, Lamech, and Lamech ends his storyline by saying, I killed somebody and I'm gonna be avenged for it. I deserve vengeance. Um, and I miss Levi. He had a, I totally agree with Levi's read on that. 
that was not a positive ending to a seven generation family tree. And at the end of the day, God's not talking to them. They have to call on God. But at the end of this line, seven generations from Seth, Enoch walks with God, just like Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. It's the same Hebrew there. And all of the days were 365 and Enoch walked with God and he was not. Um, I had to look that up. Um, he was not means disappeared or raptured. Uh, we see the same uh, kind of term being used in Hebrews 11.5. They talk about Enoch being translated. He was taken. Um, in other words, as a man of faith walking with God, God didn't say, well, it's time to die. You're going to have to go through this death thing. God just said, why don't you just get on board with me and I'll take you home. And he just was not for God took him. It's an interesting idea that even this early in the Bible, we see an example where God is showing all people after that, that you don't have to die. And that there's this thing about death that is a curse for all of us. And most of us will die, but there's this promise of life that comes after death. And Enoch is one example of someone who doesn't die. Um, and we don't see a lot of those examples in the Bible. Enoch then is contemporary with Lamech. There's some similar names in both gene genealogies, but both people agree that it's kind of like the name John or, or Sarah or Allison. It's just that they were naming some of the same names because they were using the same language and those names came up again, but they're not, they're clearly not the same parent or there's not intermarrying going on there. Um, I think it's interesting in the genealogy of Adam that he keeps track of Cain's line and Seth's line. It's like he's a good grandpa. He's kind of trying to keep track of all this with his kids, and he has these records that he does that. Um, walking with God, Enoch being kind of a special character if we're stopping in the genealogy just a second. Um, how do we walk with God, and what does that look like? Because they don't say a lot about Enoch here in this book. We just get that one line. But in 2 Corinthians 5-7, we see that we should be walking by faith. And Enoch does that. In 1 John 1, 5 through 7, we see that we should be walking in the light. And we had that whole light conversation with Genesis chapter 1, right? And then we should be, according to Amos 3, 3, we should, when we, we look at how we walk with God, we should be in agreement with God, not in conflict with God. So that idea of Enoch being a man of faith that walks with God and that God loves him so much, he just takes him home, um, and looking throughout the rest of the Bible at how we walk with God, I think that's an interesting thing. Hebrews 11.5 gives commentary on Enoch, and, and the writer of Hebrews puts Enoch in the, the hall of fame, uh, and they add the idea that Enoch pleased God, and by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For before he, had, he was taken, he had his, this testimony that he pleased God, um, and it's interesting that Enoch's remembered not for his exploits, not for the things he did, but with a life for God. I think of really simple people, simple godly people that I know that don't have a lot of fame to their name, right? They're not the people that get on the stage. They're not the people necessarily that are at the front of the evangelism thing. They're not the singers. They're not the performers. They're not even the ushers, right? They're the people that come in and clean up the church after the church is empty, and nobody even knows what they're contributing and how they're doing it. Or they're the people that do the setup work before a lunch where you're going to feed people. And you don't even know who these people are, but they're just these quiet, 
silent people that don't have big narratives and stories around what they do. And I kind of imagine Enoch as one of those kinds of people and that God just loves those people. Um, and he adores them. Methuselah, verse 25. Methuselah is, translation for that is super tough. About half of the, so Strong's Concordance, the Kakaldian Hebrew, and there was a third one I looked at, all say that Methuselah literally translated, it's another compound word which means man of the spear or person of the dart, which is an odd name to call somebody. More recent um, Hebrew experts say that that's a slight misinterpretation, that it should be when he dies, it shall be sent, is the better translation of Methuselah's name. In other words, Enoch, a guy who walks with God, has a kid and names him a name which becomes a prophecy. Um, so I'll, I'll finish reading through Methuselah. Methuselah, when he dies, it shall be sent, lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. That's a lot of sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Um, he would have died the year of the flood, according to this genealogy. Um, 969 years. You all know Methuselah is the oldest person in the Bible. So that makes him the oldest. Not by much. There's other 900ers there. But a 100-year-old is like an infant to these people. They would have been around there a long time. Clearly, Methuselah is a compound word, and we don't know what it go, what it says. But the man of the spear, it's a mortal man. So that's why they think it's when this mortal man is dying. And then the spear is something that gets sent or thrown or cast out. Um, and that's where they get the, it shall be sent. Um, so what does this look like? In Jude 1, 14 through 5, uh, Jude calls Enoch a prophet. And, he, and there's these references here and there that there's writings from Enoch that there's actually was a book of Enoch. Um, and I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, it seems that Enoch was promising that there would be some sort of judgment or something that would come when Methuselah dies, um, that he foresaw that and that he was showing that. Methuselah outlives his own son, Lamech. So the length of Methuselah's life, being the longest person to ever live, being associated with a prophecy that his death would bring something like a judgment, like a flood, um, is another way for God to say, look how long I'll wait and I'll hold off on my judgment until everyone has a chance to repent that's going to repent. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, the book of Enoch that I talked about, there are references to it. The book of Enoch is not in our Bible, but there is a book of Enoch and you can find it and read it and whatnot. It wasn't included in the Bible because when they started to get together and decide what books go in the Bible and what books don't go in the Bible, <clears throat> the book of Enoch had different versions that the translations were so different that they weren't confident in the reliability of that one versus this one. But clearly the New Testament writers that referenced this book, they had a version that they trusted in and they treated it like it was scripture, like it was actually Enoch's book. The second piece is they didn't have versions of it that could date early enough, again, to where one version could trump the other. And they didn't have the same versions in all the little Jewish libraries. Where, say, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 19, 
1950s, the book of Isaiah was pretty much the book of Isaiah word for word. There really weren't a lot of differences, which gives us a lot of confidence in these books of the Bible. Enoch, the confidence wasn't there. It didn't get included because it was too easy to critique what was there and what wasn't. But it's really clear that there was a book of Enoch that was at least in in existence when um, the New Testament writers were writing their pieces. Um, and they seemed, and they knew it, they were familiar with it, they quoted from it. And in the book of Enoch, it's really clear that Methuselah was a prophecy, and that was something that was going on there. So that's why most scholars believe that. Verse 28, Lamech means to conquer or to take over. Lived 100 years, and eight, 182 years, and he had a son. And he called his name Noah the one that will comfort us concerning our work. The word Noah means to comfort or bring comfort. This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands. Remember that was the curse. Because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years. He had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. Notice that There's one Lamech that said he should be avenged seven times, 70 times. But here we see a Lamech that that actually lives 770 years. One is the curse of humanity. One is the gift of life that God gives. But still, verse 31 ends with the phrase, and he died. Um, Notice the slight phrasing on Noah. They're thinking Noah's the one that's going to give comfort from all this toil and whatever. So again, they're thinking Noah might be the one that's going to redeem us all, and they definitely feel that way. So unlike the other Lamech, this Lamech seems to be a prophet. He's making these predictions. Um, But sin is in both lines. In both lines, both Cain's line and Seth's line, the humans are still dying. So even though there's good humans... There's only Enoch that gets saved from death. Everybody else still has to die. Both of the Lamechs involve the number seven, if you get into that sort of thing. Uh, One in vengeance and one in life. All right, so let's go through these years. There are grand timelines, if you look at these up on Google search, that show these lifespans and where they go. For me, what's really interesting is that Adam and Lamech would have had 56 years on the planet together that's more than enough time to get a doctorate's degree in what happened. So Adam talking to Lamech or Lamech to Noah, Lamech and Noah were alive on, for the same, on this earth together. Father and son would have had 595 years to hang out and talk to each other. That's a lot of time. Noah to Shem, those two had 448 years, including the flood, where they would have been together. Shem to Abraham... Shem and Abraham would have been alive for about 150 years at the same time. We can get all the way from Adam to Abraham in four four successions. That means the scrolls of Adam would have only had to get handed off three times. And so we see this sort of thing happening. and, And to me, that's one of the things where you can have a lot of comfort and reliability. And what we see here is actually what these early ancestors would have would have had on paper. Verse 32, Noah, again, that means comfort, was 500 years old. Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's go back to those names. I've told you what each of them meant. Has anybody heard this before or seen this before? Because I think it's one of the coolest things. 
I don't get into a lot of these things, but a Jewish person reading this scroll, creaking it out, decrumpling it, would have seen these names down the side because these each would have started a section. And they would have just seen Adam, but it's like if we named somebody like Princess or Rose, right? Rose is a common name in our society. No, not that common. But we name people Rose once in a while, but we would see Rose and we also know that it means flower. A Hebrew reading this scroll would have seen Adam and it would have meant humanity, right? So reading what those words meant on the side of the scroll, listen to what it says. Humanity substituted mortal man, possession or occupy the praises of God. The blessed God descends, dedicates. When he dies, it shall be sent, conquering comfort and rest. There's an obscure gospel message in those names that's pretty darn cool. Um, depending on how you translate them, and that's where it gets there. I've seen other folks, Chuck Missler, that reads it, and he just does it like a sentence. And the sentence is a little more like, all of humanity shall substitute a mortal man that occupies the blessings of gods who will descend and dedicate and when he dies, it shall be sent that he will conquer the earth and give us comfort and rest. Right down the side of the scroll. As early as Genesis 5, you start to see that message built in here. There are, we know people that go to Israel and like try to evangelize Jewish people. And she doesn't really talk about this with Americans because we're like, eh. But people that speak Hebrew this is a really interesting thing and they can open up Genesis 5 and show them this message right in their own scriptures. So she uses this as a way to actually bring people to Christ, saying, look, it was predicted that the Messiah would, be, would have to die for that blessing to come. The language of Hebrew actually kind of died. It became a dead language about 200 years after Christ died, which is interesting. The genealogies of the temple were destroyed not long after Christ died, when the Romans tore down the temple and burnt everything in it. So the desire to find Messiah at this point is impossible because those genealogies that were kept so meticulously by the Jewish people are gone, and there's no way to recreate those. So there are people that, that's another argument that Christ is the Messiah because God wouldn't have let those genealogies get destroyed until that happened. That said, at this point, the Hebrew began to become a used language again, mostly by Christian scholars that wanted to go into the scriptures like we do and look at these kinds of things. But even as Israel was recreated in, in 1950, what's the date on? 1940, 1948, Israel's reestablished as a nation and they make Hebrew their national language. Today on the planet Earth, about 6 million people speak Hebrew again. At one point, it was a dead, unused language. This is interesting because if you look at Zephaniah 3.9, Zephaniah says that, for then I will turn to the people a pure, return to the people a pure language that they may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one consent. Zephaniah actually prophesies that for everybody to call on the name of the Lord, he's going to bring a language back to the planet Earth. And it's interesting that Hebrew is a language, which would have been the first language spoken, is actually becoming a spoken language on our planet again. And in the, in the United States alone, there are thousands of people taking Hebrew classes trying to learn how to speak Hebrew again. 
Not that you need to to get saved, so don't go, that's not like that. Um, well, there was a reason for that. I think it was because they were gathered from all over the place and nobody knew how to convert. So they wanted a common tongue, and they made it. So it's kind of cool. Other accounts of the creation and the flood, they're all over the place. Uh, We're going to get to the flood with Noah. Uh, There are flood accounts, some parallel to the biblical account, like the Sumerian one we talked about. But the Incans uh, in India, in Babylon, in Egypt, uh, there is a common story of water being apocalyptically um, destroying humanity. Um, and these accounts change over time in different places. But none of the accounts from those other civilizations has what chapter 5 has, which is this line of successor, succession from Adam to the flood. Um, the other accounts seem to have the flood starting things. Verse 32, Noah's 500 years old. Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. There's three of these kids named here, not a single one, which is interesting because in Luke 3:36. Only Shem is mentioned in the genealogies, but here we see all three kids. Most people think that's because as we get to the story, all three of Noah's kids get on the ark with them, and that's why those three are mentioned. But Noah would have had lots of other kids, sons and daughters, um, which to me is kind of heart-wrenching because Noah would have had kids that he tried to convince to come on the ark that didn't come with him. And I would think that would just be horrible um, to be a prophet and know that judgment is coming and have God tell you that be so convinced of it that you start building a boat even though there's never been rain on the planet and your kids think you're nuts and won't even follow along with you. Um, I just thought it was this thing. As we get to Genesis 6, um, we are going to, it's going to get nuts. In fact, Genesis 6 to me is the weirdest chapter of the Bible because it talks about giants and Nephilim and angels and demons and all sorts of weird things, but that's in Genesis 6, which will come up next week. Let's say a word of prayer, and we'll wrap up, and if you got questions, we can start digging through it. We're going to pray, Shadow. Good boy. Dear Lord and King, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of gathering together and studying the words of God. Um, Lord, we lift up uh, our concerns, our worries, the papers we have to write, the things we have to get done, the tests we have to take. Lord, none of that matters as much as our relationship with you. Lord, we put you first and I ask you to give efficiency and joy and a quick mind to everybody in this room that has work to do because they've sacrificed their time, Lord, and we just pray you honor that. May they have weeks where they don't know where the time came from or how they got done with things as fast as they got done. But Lord, I pray they can come back next week and next Sunday and say it was an amazing week and this stuff just got done and it happened. Um, Lord, we know that your spirit is that missing equation in our lives that helps us to be more happy, more efficient, more effective. And Lord, we just want to draw close to you. Help us to be in prayer every moment that we can, to remember your words, to remember, Lord, that you keep genealogies and you keep records of all the good things we do, um, that you don't throw those records away. Uh, And we thank you, Lord, that you throw away the list of sins and the records around the wrong things we've done. We thank you that when we come before your throne, we don't have written in your word the same kind of legacy that Cain has, where what's remembered of Cain is his envy and his jealousy of his brother and the sin that came within. Lord, that Adam and Eve, even though they continue to talk to you and pray to you, um, Lord, that they're they're remembered for their failure. And Lord, we just want to be remembered that we chose you. 
that we chose to walk with you, to be in your light, and to be in agreement with you, Lord, about what you want for our lives. Lord, I know there's a plan for each person in this room. Uh, Lord, we don't know your ways. They're so far above us. But we want to be in your light, and we want to be in your plan. Um, and we want to be used by you to serve the those that are hurting and those that are angry around us, Lord, and those that have need. Lord, help us to be love in their life, to be light and grace, to be people that bring the balm of friendship into the their world. Give us strength in those things to bear one another's burdens and be with us this week and this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.